second because it finally feels like spooper season yeah i love i love this weather i'm uh i'm gonna get so i've got three gravestones i wanted to get a fog machine but i think i'm gonna have to just wait till next year because there's just it's just an expense we don't need to incur right now um but i eventually will have a fog machine with like green spoopy lights um but i'm gonna get some foam and see about a hot carving knife and make like faux brick pillars uh-huh. like facades for our the front of our um gate and the top and like carve the word like cemetery or whatever into the top of it I love it. Um, yeah so just like slowly putting together a, a comprehensive yard decor situation i love that so much I couldn't get a 12-foot Home Depot skeleton. I know. Because, yeah. But our house is currently covered in giant spiders. Yes. Oh, my God. I need it to see a picture. You should definitely like take a swarming. picture. Yeah. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. We actually have some bigger ones, too. They're like six-foot spiders and five-foot spiders. <laughs> I'm so excited. Everybody who walks by is like, we love your decorations. Oh, that's Yay. awesome. That's awesome. But I'm extra super excited because every year with my piano students, I do a Halloween recital where everybody wears That's their costumes right. and they right. play Halloweenish kind of things. And I have this little boy. Oh my gosh, he's maybe like seven years old, and he he's like he's got some very slow speech, like working with mm. a speech therapist on it. But mm-hmm. he's like so enthusiastic in piano lessons, and he's so excited about this recital. And he is wearing. <laughs> oh my god. He's wearing, you know, like those T-Rex costumes that blow up? Yes. It's like that, but it is a six foot tall inflatable dragon costume. Amazing. <laughs> I was like, buddy, you're going to have to practice your recital piece in your costume and like practice <laughs> bowing in your costume. That's amazing. Yeah, that might be hard. I don't know what the hands are like on those things. I don't know either. My sister-in-law got the T-Rex thing and during the pandemic and just like used it as a day brightener. Like when they stopped by to like give birthday presents or Christmas presents or whatever, she would like park down the block and just walk to the walk to the house in the dinosaur costume. It's awesome. I love it so much. Vinegar hates it. Vinegar (laughs) is like terrified. That's a really good pandemic hobby. Yeah, right? <laughs> okay. You want to do okay. a podcast? Let's make a podcast. Okay. Welcome to Opera Plot Happy Hour, a podcast in which I, Tina, a real live opera singer, tells me, Amanda, a real life human, about the plot of an opera, and then we ruin it for everyone. Each week, Amanda has no clue what opera we're going to talk about. But I do know who the composer is, and I'm going to tell you about him in hopefully one minute. I've been wondering how you were going to do this this oh week because God. The, the composer is Shostakovich, and a one-minute bio just is not going to cut it for him. There is so much that I will not even be touching in this bio, but I'm going to try. Okay, you got one minute. Okay. Ready, set, go. 
Dmitry Dmitrievich Shostakovich was born September 25th, 1906. His grandfather had been exiled to Siberia as a revolutionary in the late 1800s, so most of his forebears came from Siberia, including his mother, who had six children and taught him piano. He was pretty adept by age nine, particularly at ears training. He would play a song he'd heard his mother play the previous week while pretending to hear to read the completely different music sitting in front of him. I used to do that too, but somehow I'm not a wildly influential composer, huh? His education and early career followed a pretty typical path. Conservatory, beginning composition, working or associating with a ton of names that I don't recognize but are hyperlinked, which tells me that I know exactly nothing about Russian music history. After graduation, he worked as a lackluster concert pianist and composed his first through fourth symphonies, two operas, got married, got divorced, knocked up and remarried said ex-wife in what was now an open marriage. Compromise. After that, shit gets gnarly. Do you guys know anything about what happened in Russia from 1936 to like 1965? It's bonkers, guys. As a result of the bonkrosity, Shostakovich's composition style was notably all over the place. He got early criticism from Stalin for his opera about Macbeth, and after that, most of what he wrote was in an attempt to appease his critics in a highly politicized environment on pain of, let's say, censorship. Some of his colleagues were executed for their perceived political standing died 1975 oh that's real good holy cow did you like did you was that just one big long exhale <laughs> yeah pretty much also i neglected to go back and edit it the opera is not about macbeth at all <laughs> lady macbeth lady macbeth of mid district yeah but apparently it is like barely even if not not at all based on the actual play Macbeth yeah so that was a, a fact that I did not realize until after I wrote this and then apparently forgot to go back and fix it <laughs> well thanks for clarifying after the fact because I would yeah. not have caught you on that and then we would have gotten an angry email from a listener oh yeah. yes all of the angry emails we get from listeners <laughs> There's a lot. There's a yeah. lot to chew on. But most of what I took away from reading about Shostakovich is that if it wasn't for a major political revolution taking place, his career would have been pretty, like, bump-free. Like, he, he would have done well. He would have probably had some stuff get famous. He may not have had as big of an impact. Maybe he still would have. It doesn't really like, but like most of the notable Rocky shit that happened with him was directly related to political censorship and the gulag and like people being taken out and brought before firing squads for having perceived um, political leanings against the state and like it's just it, yeah it's just, yeah um Shostakovich actually wrote an autobiography called testament oh I didn't know that it's it's wow um he talks about like living with his bags packed because he watched his friends disappear one by one and he was like I'm gonna be the next person to disappear in the night mm -hmm. like any night now yep because the Stalinist regime was real fun. And some of the people that he knew that were getting dragged away in the night were getting dragged away in the night because they knew him. Yeah. And the thing is, is that he wasn't really that political of a guy. Like, he wasn't really writing anything with political intent at all. It was just getting perceived that way. Mm -hmm. Which is just nuts. <laughs> like, the guy had very little to say about politics until way later in the game when things were pretty much settled down and he was like okay i'll be a communist but that's it like the rest of the time he was like i just want to write music man <laughs> <laughs> surprise the real spook of this episode is stalinist russia <laughs> <laughs> seriously <laughs> Oy. Oy. okay okay so today's opera is 
it's not really like a spoopra. It's more like a, it's kooky. We call it a kukra. Do we? Oh my God. No, that was no, bad. I want to take no, that back. No. What do we call it? I don't know. We'll just call it the nose because that's the name of the opera. We're doing okay, Shostakovich's Yeah, I thought, I thought that's where this was going. <laughs> <laughs> so the nose was Shostakovich's very first opera. And he started writing it when he was 20 years old. But didn't complete it until I think he was about 28 or so. And the libretto was a collaborative effort between Shostakovich himself and Yevgeny Zamyatin. It's a good thing that I haven't had anything to drink yet because there's a lot of Russian names here. <laughs> and then uh, Gregory Ionin and Alexander Price. So Zamyatin was an author of science fiction, philosophy, political satire, and he also wrote this dystopian novel called We that took place in like a futuristic police state. And it was the first book to be banned by the Soviet censorship board. What an honor. But he arranged for it to be smuggled out of the country and published. Oh. And guess what happened to him? Yeah. He fell out of favor with the Stalinist regime, left the country, and then he died in poverty in Paris in 1937. Oh. Good job. I don't know if that's more or less dramatic than being taken out by firing squad. Go on. Mm. Well, it sounds like it was early in the Stalinist regime. So. Uh, they hadn't gotten there yet. Yes. So Price was also an author who worked with Shostakovich on both this one and the Lady Macbeth opera. He died young at age 37. And in Testament, Shostakovich said, they killed him. They, of course, being the Stalinist regime. Yeah. And I can't find a scrap of information about Gregory Ionin outside of references to this opera. But based on the fates of the other librettists, I think it's safe to assume the Stalinist regime <laughs> did not like him. Yeah. Yeah. And we can just infer what we want to from that. Yeah. Wasn't The Nose the first opera that he did? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the second one was Lady Macbeth. Maybe? I'm trying to remember which one. It was one of those two that was reviewed really favorably and like audiences totally loved it. I think it was Lady Macbeth. Um, it was reviewed favorably. Audiences loved it. Everybody was having a great time. And then Stalin came to see it. And hated it. And hated it to the point where... The critics who had reviewed it positively recanted. Oof. To have that much power where people are like, no, that's not my opinion. <laughs> like, right? Man. For one person, for one person to have that much power. Because, like, I hear in my, like, when, when we talk about this, we talk about censorship, and you think about all the, like, quote-unquote cancel culture bullshit and... The way that pe some people feel they are being censored or pressured to think or act or speak a certain way. I can see kind of maybe how we would like see a shadow of that if, if we were a person who, I don't know, refused to acknowledge race, systemic racism and got back public backlash for that if we said that out loud. <laughs> In theory, she said, because she I, is not this person at all. But yeah. like what I'm what I'm saying is that like it's one thing for a culture and a like a, a movement of thought to be moving in a direction that's opposing a viewpoint mm -hmm. to say, yeah, generally speaking, we don't like that because it's bad. 
And for that person to then have to either change their opinion, shut up, or go talk somewhere else. That's different than one person wielding so much power that their singular opinion is enough to frighten everyone Mm -hmm. into solidarity with him. I don't know. That was a rant. (laughs) No, no. I'm trying to figure out how to react. It's like, I can't believe that this was a real person. I know. Who actually did that. Like, that's, that's like a singular, like singularly minded villain that we are opposed to because we're supposed to be rooting for the heroes. But he was the hero to himself. I know. Stalinist Russia is really nuts. I don't know as much about it as I... I'm now curious <laughs> to yeah. know because after reading this, I'm like, holy shit, he's like a super villain. Like the we think of Hitler when we think of fas- fascist regimes, but like Stalin, man, mm-hmm. equally dubious. Oh, very and, much. And maybe <laughs> I don't know. I get the impression that Hitler was evil but in a kind of a puppety way too where like there were a lot of very powerful people who used him and his charisma to advance their own agenda oh yeah you're always gonna get that though right right? but i feel yes but i feel a little bit more like stalin was kind of running the thing you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like he was the conductor of the train there was not any puppeting happening but mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm talking out of my ass because, like I said, I don't know as much as I'm curious to know. So I'm going to be reading more about this. I'm about to fall yeah. into a Stalinist Russia fascination phase. Oh, I think. my gosh. Um, so read the Gulag Archipelago. Um, <laughs> also, my husband is like super obsessed with Shostakovich and therefore Stalinist Russia. So we have so many books on this. <laughs> I will be visiting your home. And then there's this really great book called Symphony for the City of the Dead, which has to do with Shostakovich. Cool. And Stalinist Russia. All about anyway, it. let's anyway. talk about super pre-Stalinist Russia. Let's talk about a hundred years before Shostakovich was even born. There was an author named Nikolai Gogol. Yes. And he's the man who wrote the short story that this opera is based on. Okay. And Gogol was a Ukrainian born in 1809. And he was one of the very first authors to use surrealism and the grotesque in his works. And he even has hints of like, I I don't know, I would call it maybe proto-magical realism. Can you draw a comparison? To magical realism, you mean? Yeah, like what would you call magical realism? So magical realism is actually a literary genre. Right. It's more of like a, I don't know, maybe 1930s or so. It kind of started to come through. But when we think of magical realism, we tend to think about Gabo, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who wrote Love in the Time of Cholera. So it is the world depict in a hyper-realistic way. But there are elements of the fantastical and the the lines are blurred a little bit. Huh. I'm trying to think if I can think of any other examples that would fit that. It would be like if we were doing La Boheme, for example, where it's just like very realistic life. We're poor, we're cold, we're hungry, we're not, you know, polishing that turd. It just is what it is. But then... One of them can, I don't disappear. know, 
can can yeah disappear or levitate and it's just like it doesn't seem fantastical because it's like blended with the reality it's accepted as normal within the context of the world of the story yeah yeah but it doesn't make it really a fantasy because overall it's a really hyper realistic story there's just an element that is fantastical got it okay and i mean gogol predates this by over a century i mean it magical realism doesn't become a thing until about 80 years after he died but he uses it and you'll see that in the nose quite a bit um his satire is really well known for being simultaneously sophisticated and unconventional and i've decided that's what i'm going to describe myself as on facebook now (laughs) (laughs) i feel like that fits you can take that (laughs) mine is still i'm here live i'm not a cat (laughs) what the fuck do you remember when that lawyer got stuck as a cat on that oh Zoom call? Oh my god! <laughs> uh, I did not remember that, but yep. now I do, and I'm also reminded of the boss that was a potato. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh Zoom! Oh 2020! You were oh, such, a, of such a frolic of a year. Oh, man. Okay, so uh, where was I? Simultaneously sophisticated and unconventional. And perhaps he's best known for his short story, The Overcoat, which had a severe impact on, that sounds like pejorative, a severe impact on Russian literature, like a really positive impact. Like people were really influenced by this story in particular. And there's a quote by a Russian author, and I forgot to write down who it was, but he said, we all come out from Gogol's overcoat. (laughs) (laughs) that's cute yeah so using his talent for satire the absurd but also the very realistic all of those powers combined captain planet we get the (laughs) nose which like i said was completed in 1828 as an opera and the opera itself is a massive ensemble piece with get this 82 named roles but the roles are played by an ensemble cast of about 14 people. Wait, did you say 1828 or 1928? This was made in opera. Sorry, 1928 opera. Okay, okay. If I said 18, it's because I'm not drunk enough for this podcast. Uh, It's because you're not drunk enough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I thought you were going to freak out when I said there are 82 named roles in this opera. Oh, holy shit. I was so distracted by the date. Yeah, that's too many. Yeah. And you know what else it is? Uh, it's like Russian literature is what it is. Oh, my gosh. Well, in Russian <laughs> literature, everybody has so many different names. So even if there are only three characters, right. they probably have like 82 names. Yeah. Oh, man. The first time I read Anna Karenina, and I was like, what the hell is happening? Oh, I know. I couldn't even. I, I started it and I was like, nope, yeah, I'm just going to. The movie's fine. <laughs> I'm not going to do this Izzy. just for the clout. <laughs> This feels like torture. <laughs> you know, if it feels if if you don't enjoy it, if it hurts when you go like that, don't go like that. <laughs> that's a that's a Jeffism, Jeff, my father-in-law. But it applies to so many things. Yeah, if it hurts when you go like that, don't go like that. That's that's a bumper sticker. <laughs> I need that bumper sticker. <laughs> you have to write Jeff Christensen at the bottom. <laughs> okay, so eighty-two named roles. They're played by an ensemble cast of typically about 14 performers, depending on how you distribute the roles amongst them. 
And that is the first in the list of reasons why this is not done very often. <laughs> because even paying 14 soloists yeah, is... That's a, a lot. And to have 82 distinctive costumes. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's crazy expensive. I'm trying to think if you divide 14... If you divide, 80, divide 82 by 14... I don't think it's evenly divided because like our... Because our, some people are only going to do a few and some people are going to do a whole shit some ton. Some people are going to do a single role because it's a big role of the show. <laughs> do you hear that? Yeah, what is that? <laughs> Justin's making Soda Stream. <laughs> oh, love me some Soda Stream. We are, we are sparkling water addicts in our home. Ours as well. Shamelessly. We drink as she sips her Lacroix. Three or four Lacroix a day apiece. Oh, we it's each bad. Have our own Lacroix shelf in the fridge. Sean has his Pomplamousse, and I have my Limoncello fridge. Like that is that is ice. precious. That's precious. <laughs> that we definitely got a Soda Stream because we were like, we spend kind of not like a lot of money. Like this is not. This is like an avocado toast thing, right? Like it's not breaking the budget, but it is a little ridiculous when you look at it and go. I could make that myself. I'm being a lazy consumer right now. Yeah. <laughs> like every once in a while, if I'm just really hankering for like a flavor that I can't do myself with the flavor supplements or whatever, I'll pick up a pack of uh, sparkling water and we will polish off a 12 pack of sparkling water in two days. I was going to say two days is about us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We got this, We so for our soda stream, we got this thing called Soda Mod. Soda Mod. Where it okay. mods the soda stream bottles so that you can get it refilled at like a paintball supply place. And you don't have to spend a ton of money on the refills. The Soda Mod itself was like 90 bucks, I think. But like over time, you save a shit ton of money. Interesting. Because we were all already super thrifty. God, my whole family is just being loud right now. Hello, Vinegar. Everyone, my dog Vinegar, jingle jangling in the background. Um, we got our soda stream from the thrift store. Because <laughs> that's what we Amazing. do in our house. We keep it from the landfill by putting it in our house. Nice. Yes. All right. This has <laughs> gone off in so many directions that are not opera. Okay. Well, then I'll just <laughs> jump on the opera train and start with act please, one. All right. Please, by all means, do so. We're in St. Petersburg. And Kovalyov, who is a collegiate assessor, he's like a government employee, low-level government employee, he's being shaved by his regular barber, Ivan Yakovlevich. Yakovlevich. And the next morning, at the breakfast table, Yakovlevich slices into a loaf of bread, only to find a human nose in it. Oh, God. And his wife thinks that he maybe accidentally cut off one of his customers' noses and tells him to get the thing out of her house. Yes, I know. I don't know about you, but I routinely accidentally take people's appendages off when cutting their hair. What? I think I'm going to say what a lot in this episode, and it's going to get so redundant because there's absurdism involved in this opera. But, oh, the entire okay. thing is absurdist. It's really right. good. <laughs> I, might just, I might just have to acclimate. <laughs> Give me a few minutes. I'll get there. But also, I mean, we just have to we have to think about, like, how did the nose get there in the first place? Because if he cut off one of his customers' noses, he would know 
There yeah. would be a lot of blood. There's no blood involved, and then it yeah. somehow his wife somehow bakes it into a loaf of bread, and then yeah, he there's a lot of it. a lot of people should have caught this, yeah, <laughs> before this yeah. got to the loaf of bread stage. But it just magically appears in this loaf of bread. Yeah, and how off-putting! Can you imagine? <laughs> but way to start just, your morning. His, but his wife doesn't like freak. Out. She's just like, oh, you must have cut off one of your customers' noses. Get the thing out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> So Yakovlevich tries to dispose of it in the street, but as he's about to dump the nose, a bunch of people he knows walk by, and he's got to, like, hide it and be like, hey, guys, <laughs> totally not disposing of a random nose in the street. How are you today? That's funny. <laughs> so, <laughs> then he slips past them and throws it into the river, but as he is throwing a human appendage into the river, oh God, he what? is seen by a police officer okay, and hauled yep. away for questioning. Well, yeah, yeah. There it is. <laughs> Meanwhile, Kovalyov wakes up to find a smooth, flat patch of skin covering the place where his nose should be. And at first, he's like, "What? This isn't real." Because he he too does not know how this has happened. There yeah. was no there was no severing of a nose. It just some somehow is not with him anymore got it okay yep Mm -hmm. so he he goes through like a state of disbelief and then he goes through a state of shock and then finally he's like he he moves through the stages of grieving his nose (laughs) yes (laughs) but only two of them disbelief and shock (laughs) and that's where the story picks up (laughs) yeah and then he decides to take action and get dressed and go out and look for his nose Uh, i mean just finding a single (laughs) nose in all of saint petersburg like needle in a haystack much oh my god <laughs> especially because he just has no leads like nothing no did you, did you say that there's a flat patch of skin where his nose used to be or there's a yeah. hole it's just okay. a flat smooth patch of skin where his nose used to be so not only has he lost his nose he's also lost the ability to breathe through his nose and smell yeah and s- yeah like there's not even like voldemort holes He's just got to be a mouth breather now. Poor guy. Oh, no. No one's going to marry him. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry, mouth breathers out there. I breathe through my mouth when I sleep. I'm so sorry. It, sleeping doesn't count. Sleeping okay. doesn't count. <laughs> Do you remember Hey Arnold with the kid on the bus? And he would out, you always hear him going. <sighs> and then Helga would punch him. <laughs> That is a level of detail I do not have about Hey Arnold, but thank okay. you for that image. You're welcome. <laughs> so we need to take a second to talk about the nose as a character. Because oh. the nose isn't just like a dead hunk of flesh that was ah. somehow magically cut off this man's face. It's the nose, sentient. It's it's an actual sentient character. Okay. okay. The size of a human being. Okay. Though in Gogol's story, the nose can shrink or grow depending on what the situation calls for. So it can be human oh. sized or it can be nose sized. Wow. Shenanigans. That's, I, I find myself envious of this nose. <laughs> Go on. It's funny. When I told John we were going to do this opera, he's like, why? Because it's Kafka-esque body horror. And I was like, I don't actually think that's what this is. It's just absurd. Yeah. I'm- I'll be I'll be curious where we land on this in terms of like is it spooky by the end of the sh- this show? Uh, I mean, on. Kooky is spooky in its own right. But anyway, okay. So Kovalyov is out looking for his nose, and he finds it at prayer in a cathedral. 
but the nose is dressed in the rank of a state counselor. What? And Kavalyev is only a collegiate assessor, which means his nose overnight grew to human size and climbed to a and higher rank of government. The fuck? Also, I'm really having a hard time picturing a nose that is dressed. Can you describe what you're seeing? Yeah, I'm... Okay, so... I see, like, a big nose sculpture that's, like, the height of, you know, from the top of somebody's... Well, it has legs coming out the bottom, which are probably... You'd probably be able to see at least, like, from the knee down, if not a little higher, for mobility. So, from middle of the thigh to probably, like a foot or two above a person's head would be the proportion. Mm-hmm. And it's like a big, like, foam thing that obviously the actor has to be able to breathe and see through. And but, sing in. But the audience, oh, God, oh, God, I hadn't even thought of that. Uh, but the audience can't see into it. And then I'm picturing, like, a human-sized hat on the top. <laughs> Wait, and so it's not, I'm... it's not like giant because the nose is giant. It's like a hat that I would wear on my head. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, obviously the the legs are clothed as legs would be if they were on a human because they are. Um, but then I'm having a heart, like, is there just like a humongous necktie that goes around <laughs> the bridge of the nose that looks comically small despite it being comically large? Um <laughs> like how does how does you this could really rank... play with proportions in this? I love this. Well, and like how does this rank of government be displayed? Like, are there like medals attached to the I right nostril so. or like a cape? <laughs> Is it a big caped nose? <laughs> oh God! <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're just going to go with that because I love it. <laughs> yep. It's now it's now wearing a bowler hat and a kind of sort of like low-key Dracula-esque cape, like Jack the Ripper cape. Um, and walking and... with a cane because he's apparently a magician. But no, because it doesn't have any arms. Oh, your nose doesn't have arms. My okay. nose does not have arms. Interesting. Okay. How did he get dressed? How did... We're Tina, getting into the How weeds. did the okay. nose... How did, how did any of this? Oh, you know what? You make a good point. <laughs> How did he get dressed? <laughs> okay, <laughs> moving on. We can't go down those holes because this episode will never end. It's true. It's very true. It could be a lot of fun, though. <laughs> to a point. <laughs> to a point, yeah. Okay, moving on. Kovalyov tries to convince his nose to return to his face, but he's like a little embarrassed because he's like, this thing outranks me and I'm trying to ask <laughs> it to do something for me. <laughs> <laughs> So, of course, his nose knows that he is now beneath him and is like, bye, I refuse to have anything to do with you. And he leaves. Oh, my God. And that's act one. All right. <laughs> act two. We're just going along for the ride. The search for the nose leads Kavalyev to the apartment of the chief of police, but the chief of police is not home. And I assume it's because he's too busy interrogating some sicko who tried to dispose of a nose in the river earlier. <laughs> Must be. But also, why do you go to the apartment? Why don't you go to the police station, like, of all the places? Yeah, that is weird. So next, 
he decides he's going to visit the newspaper office to place an advertisement for his lost nose. But they're already busy dealing with a missing dog. <laughs> so. Just, I really like the, <laughs> I really like the image of, because, okay, so at this moment, I'm not assuming that the missing dog is going to come back at any point. I could be wrong about this. It's uh, not Chekhov's dog, sorry. <laughs> oh, that's farther than I was going. No, I, I'm just imagining, like, Gogol, Gogol sitting there and being like, I need an obstacle. <laughs> what? obstacle could i use at this point in the story that would keep this a missing dog yes that's benign it's banal no one will think twice about it and yet in the midst of all this absurdity it being so normal (laughs) makes you go like zero in on this missing dog like now i am overthinking the missing dog expecting it to become a major plot point because it is so normal i mm, okay yeah you are definitely overthinking this missing dog i think the point is like (laughs) you go to the newspaper if you want to put an ad for lost and found and so they're saying like this is a normal ad that happens so of course he would think to go and place an ad for his missing nose i see i see i see So he explains that his nose left his face and ran away and they refused to help him because publishing an ad like that would do terrible things for the newspaper's reputation. I mean, (laughs) it's not the onion, so. It's not the onion. I can see how they'd be concerned that their readership would get confused. Although I think that the onion could pull so many articles from this opera. Go on. Just like, I, I always wonder where they get their source material because, I mean, the onion is spot on. I mean, yeah, when it's political, it's obviously easy to pull from. But if you're looking for other satire, like this is an entire satire, you could pull like one plot point from this and write an entire onion article on it and do that with okay. several plot points. Interesting. Interesting. For those of the audience who do not know, because <clears throat> Tina, I don't know if you know this, but we were number 10 in music commentary in Luxembourg last week. So, hey, Luxembourg, what's hey. up? In case you guys don't know, there's this satire uh, publication called The Onion in the United States. That's kind of the the satire political publication. But I, mm, okay, I I will take that into consideration that there are multiple plot points that could be turned into entire full-blown onion articles. Okay. Go on. Will you continue to consider as I finish act two? I will consider as you finish act two, yes. Act two ends with Kovalyev returning to his his apartment where his servant is there playing the balalaika. Which is have you you've probably seen a picture of a balalaika? Oh. It's a it's like a triangular stringed yeah. instrument. It's got three strings. And it's really fucking big. It's yeah. really big. Or maybe it, it can be. But yeah, when I was in Norway actually there were street musicians um one day mm. randomly in the like the main Karl Johansgate, the um main drag that leads right up to the palace and there there was this group of street musicians and one of them was playing a balalaika and it is as tall as a tall man and looks like a triangular lute but it's it's probably triangular lute 
It's probably about at the base of the triangle, like five feet wide. It's nuts. It's That's real crazy. big. It's I wonder crazy. if they're all that big. I don't know that much about it. It was a really, really big one. And I, yeah, I don't know either if there's like various sizes. Maybe, probably. I would imagine so. I mean, if you think about stringed instruments in general, they are mm-hmm. multiple sizes. But yeah, it was ginormous. And I was like, can you imagine being a traveling busker? And that is what you have to carry around with you. Oh, yeah. It's like people who play double bass. And it's like when you start. But worse. Yeah. When you start playing that instrument, like that's the instrument you choose for orchestra in elementary school. You don't consider the fact that like if you have a career in this, it's going to influence everything from like your house to like the vehicles that you choose because you have to be able to transport this thing. Yep. That That is a really interesting call out. I feel like my mother actually may have said something along the lines of smart that you're going with the flute, Amanda, because it's very compact and that'll always be easy for you. She's a very practical woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I used to like when we would travel for marching band things, everybody had to put their tubas underneath the bus and I would just like tuck my piccolo in my pocket. Ah, <laughs> oh, the piccolo. It's such a cute little tiny little case. I loved playing piccolo. I only played it for a year. I love how year. we went like completely opposite though, like massive balalaika to ting 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 Yeah, you know this is this is the vibe tonight, all over the goddamn place. Well, Both I mean the opera that we're talking about, and apparently me and Tina's states of mind. <laughs> okay, so Act Two, he returns the end of Act Two. He returns to his apartment. His servant is playing the balalaika, and he's like, "Leave," to his servant. And his servant leaves, and then he just like wallows in self pity, and that's the end of Act Two. <laughs> question yeah does the servant sing while playing the balalaika and is this one of the named characters everybody is a named character and everybody oh sings. it's crazy there's no chorus it's like literally 82 named characters that's like <sighs> so i love ensemble shows i love like britain's the rape of lucretia where you don't have a chorus because you have this tight cast of like seven that they're all named characters but it's this tight little ensemble cast I think the biggest ensemble cast that I can get behind is like Stephen Sondheim's Into the Woods, which I think is probably like 20 people deep. Mm-hmm. Well, this That's... is fewer people, just more characters. Yeah. And like, if so Into the Woods is probably like, if it's 20 people, 20 actors deep, it's probably only 24 characters deep. Okay. Because only a couple of them are doubling. Mm-hmm. And that's plenty (laughs) yeah i think that's like reason number two why this is not done that often because what a nightmare for directors for all of those seriously and especially because like i don't know any director worth their salt which is a idiom that i have never totally understood and therefore always feel uncomfortable using um wants to give reasonable character development to every named character Mm -hmm. because we're telling a story like that's the whole point stories are made up of characters and characters make choices and that's what makes the story if you've got 82 characters not only is it going to be exhausting you're going to burn out trying to give all of these characters like a rich backstory (laughs) And you're just going to give up and you're going to end up with actors that are like, well, I just play the guy playing the balalaika. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, it sounds like a nightmare. (laughs) 
You ready for Act 3? I'm ready. Okay. Lay it on me. The police take up the search for the nose. And a group of policemen are at a railway station in order to prevent the nose from escaping. And the nose runs in and tries to hop a train. And the police jump out and try to seize him. And then we get a really cinematic escape, like, chase scene where a bunch of grown-ass men are just chasing a nose. Okay. And it all ends with the capture of the nose. Are they singing while they chase the nose or is it, like, silent movie style? I wish I could answer that. I wish you could, too. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen this beginning to end. I've seen, like, little snippets and read about it multiple times. I'm really curious to watch this now. I mean, it's it's not that long of an opera. It's... it's, I I wouldn't call it... I mean, it's got four acts and an epilogue, but... um, Oh, maybe it's like an hour and 20 minutes. Like, it's really Oh, that's not bad at all. Oh, my God. Yeah. As far as operas go, man, that is like... I love it. (laughs) So the nose is captured. He is beaten back into his normal size and wrapped in a cloth. (laughs) Right? Can't you just see that? Oh, God. Thanks, Russian police. Um... (laughs) Sorry, At least Russia's going like, to come to my door long. tonight. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what our rankings are like in Russia. <laughs> this isn't looking good for us. If, if we disappear in the night, you'll know why. Oh, God. <laughs> what have we done? I told you the real spook in this episode is Stalinist Russia, okay? <laughs> don't publish it. Don't publish it. <laughs> so... Nose is beaten back into his normal size, wrapped in a cloth, and returned to Kovalyev by the inspector. But we have a problem. Kovalyev cannot reattach his nose. He can't just, like, stick it back on. Well, I mean, what is he fucking doing? Like, with Peter Pan, with just rubbing some soap on it and seeing if that'll make it stick? (laughs) Like, you're going to need some shit, okay? You're going to need... Especially because apparently your face closed up after the nose left. Yeah, well, okay, so he goes to a doctor for help, but the doctor can't make it happen either. Yeah, I mean it's a little it's a little bit of a conundrum. So he suspects the next most logical thing, which is that he's been placed under a spell. I guess I can't argue with that logic. And he he reasons out like okay, if I was placed under a spell, it would be by this woman named <laughs> Madame Podchina Pod Podtochina Pod Podtochina Pod to China. Podtochina. Oh my gosh. And the reason that Madame P would be so upset with him (laughs) is because he refused to marry her daughter. And so he writes a letter to her and says, "Uh, I'm sorry I didn't marry your daughter. Will you undo this spell on me? And she misinterprets the letter as, uh, oh, he's he wants to marry my daughter now. Wait, hang on. I feel like you said this and then I must have just like not grabbed it with my memory. Um, what what is her profession? Did you t- say what like I what she say. is? Okay, why why do we just assume? <sighs> he assumes that if anybody I was going to say spell, if she were yeah. like a like like a, a Romani woman or something. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Okay, I was going to say like why do we why are we assuming that this woman has magical powers? But then it occurred to me that this entire opera is completely absurd. And yeah, so and also hell has those no fury. Doesn't matter. Okay, yes, go on. So he, <laughs> she thinks that he means that he's changed his mind and wants to marry her daughter. Yeah, and then by reading her response letter, he's like, "Oh, yeah, she didn't do this. She's she's innocent." And, and now I gotta de- now I gotta reject her again. <laughs> yeah, and Act Three ends with 
like we're we're in the streets of the city and there are rumors that are just flying around about this nose that's gone missing and this crazy thing that's happening. So all these people are gathering in the street and they're like, oh my God, we're going to go hunt for this nose. And then the police restore order and that's the end of Act 3. Okay. So we get an epilogue. Kavalyev wakes up the next morning and his nose is reattached. That's curtains? I mean, he dances a polka in joy. And then the barber has been released from prison because he obviously didn't murder this man. Um, and afterwards, Kavalyev is wandering around the streets and just like chatting with people he knows. And people are gossiping about the story, which I think is the way of saying like, okay, it wasn't all a dream. Because people in the streets are like, did you hear about that nose that escaped? Sure. And that's the end. Curtain. Well, that's deeply unsatisfying. <laughs> No, I kind of love it. I, yeah, I mean, like, it's not as unsatisfying as Lord of Cries. Was. Oh, God. <laughs> um, okay. I mean, it sounds like a fucking romp. Yeah. Oh, very much. Very much. And, and in that, like, little description, I didn't give you any of the character development. Like, Kavalyev is like this, he's very obsessed with his own image and himself, and he thinks very highly of himself. And then he loses his nose, and his nose outranks him, and it just, like... Oh, dear, it, yes. He, he goes through a journey as a person. Yes. Oh. Yes. Well, I wish you would have talked more about that. I'm going to talk about it now. Oh, fantastic. Do so tell, some Tina. some themes in Russia, apparently, the nose is is part of like a lot of different proverbs or just like little sayings like if your nose is torn off it's because you're too curious and if your nose is lifted up then you have a high opinion of yourself which is pretty sure. synonymous here in the united states as well and if it's <laughs> hung up it's your no if it's hung up it's like hanging your head like you're you you're defeated you know failure so it's it's like a symbol of hung up? Um, yeah like if like, you hang your head i would assume huh and these are English translations of yeah, Russian sure, sayings. Sure, sure. Oh my gosh. Hold on. Speaking. <laughs> Tina Tangent. Um, <laughs> I had a Russian piano professor in college, Alexander Chernyshev. And one morning, I had 8 a.m. piano lessons in college because I was insane. Um, one morning, I was really tired. And he walks in and he goes, girl, you look like someone who's put sticks in your wells. <laughs> Who's like, you look like someone has put sticks in your wells. Yeah. So like, they put a bunch of debris in your well, and so your water source is dried up. I yes, or like your water is there, but you can't get to it because all the sticks are in the way. I don't know. Oh, interesting. Oh man, I love that shit so much. I love <laughs> cultural sayings that. You hear from other other languages and you're like, what the shit does that mean? I think that's super cool. I wish if anyone listening knows what that idiom refers to, or for that matter, uh, be someone being worth their salt would also be. That one I assume because like life isn't possible without salt, right? Sure. Like I read a lot of epic fantasy literature and like having a box of salt for your travels is really necessary, right? Okay. And it's also a hard commodity to come by when you're traveling. So if you are, like, sharing with somebody, if you meet somebody on the road, salt is a pre precious resource. So if you share it with them, 
and they're not worth it, well, then that's salt wasted for you. Interesting. I guess that's I was assuming I was assuming that human trafficking entered into it, I guess, once I started to pick it apart. Hmm. Like if salt was the currency with which one bought or sold a person. That's wow. That's very literal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> email us your answers, listeners. <laughs> okay. Oh, so basically, speaking of just like the the symbolism of this nose, it's it's a symbol of his own snobbery and pretentious attitude. And then when it becomes detached from him, he is beneath his own snobbery, I guess. And it's like he he changes completely as a character, and. You know, like it's it's kind of like picture of Dorian Gray where like the portrait of Dorian is a conscience that is separated from his body while his pride and snobbery is separated from his body and he's experiencing his own pride and snobbery. Oh. Acted towards him from his own nose. <sighs> I can think of several people who I wish would lose their nose in the night and have to be <laughs> subjected to their own bullshit for a day. <laughs> Do you want to make a list now? I mean, Russia's nope. going to come to our doors tonight, so you may as well just put oh, it all out. Oh, I'll start, I'll start compiling names. <laughs> <laughs> so when I've seen versions of this done, um, typically every character has like a very obviously massive nose to make the loss of the nose and Kavalyev even more sure. obvious. So he either has like a normal nose or he'll have like a scrap of cloth over it. Or sometimes I've seen it painted black. And the mm. nose itself, I have seen a person costumed with a massive nose and then like the collar of their official coat comes up over their head. So all you see sticking out of the coat is the massive nose. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which I think is, like, a little odd. But there is a production that I want to call out because it's such a cool production. Um, It was at the Royal Opera. And the director is... uh, Blanking on his name, but he's the guy who does Komische Opera Berlin. Um, He's an Australian guy, though, but I love Komische Opera. And Komische Opera Berlin was the one that did the really innovative um, uh, magic flute, right? Yeah, the film noir magic flute, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he does really cool, innovative productions, Mm -hmm. and it was his first show at Royal Opera, and he really wanted to do the nose. And he's like, okay, like, there are reasons that this isn't done. And one of them is that, I mean, you have to depict a nose leaving somebody's face. Yeah. And so you don't don't really get... um, uh, how do I put this? The way that Shostakovich wrote it, it's more cinematic than it is theatrical in that you are in one scene and then it's a literal jump cut to a next scene oh, wow. as you would cut in a movie. And so that's like a really hard thing for a director yeah. to try and work around, especially yep. when you have to depict this nose leaving. And so what he did was he he created a tap dance scene that does not exist in the show. And it's Kavalyev going to sleep. And he is surrounded by these tap dancing noses. And they look a lot like the nose that you described earlier, like this giant foam thing. And you see like little, little like hairy man legs sticking out underneath in tap <laughs> shoes. But what I love is that they have like this Billy Elliot type kid who comes and leads the tap dance. He's like the center nose, but he's like a solid foot and a half shorter than all the other noses. Cute. It's so good. It's so good. I'll post the nose tap dance scene because it's just... 
it's hilarious. It's absurd and I love it. And also the comments on that YouTube video are just gold. So Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I should send the interview of the director whose name that I forget because he says some really interesting things about the show. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I'm gonna put together um I got introduced to Linktree. I've heard of this. Put, yeah, a lot of TikTok creators use it um because they'll have like it's similar to Instagram where you can't really use hyperlinks in the like captions for your movies or in the comments. They don't really work. And then you only only have one spot for one link in your bio, which is the same on Instagram. And so when I say, hey, go read this article, link in bio, I need to get you to a link where you can get to everything we've posted. Mm-hmm. Our Patreon, our website with all of our episodes related content that we talk about fundraisers we want to point you to so i'm gonna set up a link tree because i think it's time because we have like at least two per episode at least twice per episode we're like we should link you here and then we don't have a really good way of doing that so i'm gonna i'm gonna get my ass in gear and get on that nice i mean for the record it's in the episode notes so if you're listening on like apple Podcasts, that's true you can click it there and it's also on our website but of course then you have to like have an make an effort to go and find it yeah yeah, it is. But tap dancing noses are worth the effort. Just watch mm-hmm. the tap dancing noses. Yep. And if you absolutely must right now, just go to YouTube and search for it. Oh yeah, it'll be the first thing that comes up. Yep. Like, you tap can't dancing miss the noses. tap dancing noses. There's not a lot of those. <laughs> well, any other comments about the nose, the schnoz? I liked it a lot. Um, I definitely want to see if there's a version that's watchable, maybe on the YouTubes. There are a few, yeah. Because I'm definitely, like, I I could hear in your telling of it, the jump cuts that you're describing, that it's just, like, cinematic. The way that you Mm -hmm. described it felt like a movie. I don't know why exactly. Maybe it was the the quick scene changes, or maybe it's that I can't imagine anyone singing. I'm really having a hard time, like, imagining where song is taking place so i'd be interested to see this or hear it to get a sense of that yeah and i'll i'll warn you it's it's very 20th century um which is probably another reason why people don't do it as often it's what, a little what cacophonous just it's it's not strictly tonal in oh that yeah you're not like, functioning with was, a key. was I'm trying to remember which came first, the 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 Shostakovich or the Stravinsky. <laughs> <laughs> they, I think Shostakovich is a little bit younger than Stravinsky, but I could be. Yeah, totally I think wrong. that's correct. I think that's correct. Um, because I just remember working that. very much around the same time. They were. It's true, but Stravinsky, um, Stravinsky did uh, influence Shostakovich. Is I believe what I read. Okay, that did. makes total sense. Yeah. That makes absolute sense. Yeah. And I like Stravinsky a lot. So, I mean, I'm I'm not off-put by the atonal stuff. That sounds fun. It's not that it's atonal. It's just that it's not – It's it, it doesn't function in a key. We don't have, like, a 1 to a 4 to a 5, 7 that resolves back to a 1. Like, there isn't necessarily a key relationship. I love it. It sounds like it's going to tickle my brain. I love it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's just – it's it's absurd. It's irreverent. It's it, – you know, it says something, which is also nice. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm definitely going to chase this one down. This sounds this sounds fun. And it's a shame that it doesn't get done more often, but uh, understandably so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, very much so. Very much so. 
so thanks everyone for listening if you um have any information about like russianisms or any other fun (laughs) phrases in foreign languages that you think are hilarious when they're translated to english yes you can email those to us at operaplothappyhour at gmail.com and if you want to know more about the show you can visit us on facebook instagram and twitter or check out our website at operaplothappyhour.com You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. And while you're there, please rate and review us because it helps other people find the show and it makes us feel good about ourselves. Yay! So next week, hmm, what flavor are you feeling? Because we went from vampire-ish to actual vampire to something that's just like out of left field and totally kooky. It's like, what are we missing in our spooky (sighs) opera October month? thing we haven't haven't really done anything ghosty um yeah we did a lot of vampires in the first couple weeks there and today was just like absurdism which i'm gonna go ahead and say not spooky could be could be potentially done spooky i haven't heard the music so i can't really speak to how spooky you could make it but i think i mean like if you put yourself in the character's shoes it's kind of a kind of a scary fucking thing to have happen <laughs> like yeah <laughs> so you could theoretically make this a very uh anxiety inducing show but i don't know if i would necessarily call it spooky so but again, see. you can't talk about Shostakovich without talking about Stalinist Russia, and that is which scary is as hell. the spooky thing. Yes, indeed. Um, so I guess I don't know. We haven't done anything with ghosts this month or possession. So we haven't done ghosts. We haven't done any like murder stories either. Does that count? That's true. Yeah, yeah. I like I like murder horror as long as there's a good psychological element to it. Hmm. Okay, I'll get my gears turning and I'll let you know. All right, and tonight I'm going to leave you with the words of Nikolai Gogol from his inestimable novel, the no- or short story, <laughs> some length of words, The Nose. Perfect nonsense goes on in the world. Sometimes there's no plausibility at all. Mm-hmm.